Welcome to the First Contact Headache and Primary Care Podcast. Every episode, we break down topics in headache medicine for primary care providers and other healthcare professionals seeing patients with headache disorders. The goal of the First Contact Headache and Primary Care Program is to provide educational resources to empower healthcare professionals and to improve headache and migraine care for patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Mia Minnan, a board-certified headache specialist and associate professor at NYU Langone Health. Today, we're going to discuss migraine in women, and my guest today is Dr. Tracy Grossman. Dr. Grossman, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am trained in obstetrics and gynecology, and then I went on to do a fellowship in maternal fetal medicine, which basically means I take care of women that are pregnant with high-risk conditions, both maternal and fetal. So I have a master's actually in neuroscience. So In medical school, I debated going the neurology route, but fell in love with delivering babies, and here I am now. But I have continued to do clinical care of pregnant patients with neurological disorders and some research on that topic as well. Well, I'm so glad we could have you as a guest today. I want to start by beginning by saying we know that migraine affects more women than men. Can you tell us a little bit more about these numbers? Yes. So the rate of migraine in women is actually three times higher than it is in in men. And the age when that starts to become apparent is really during adolescence when women start to have their their menstruation. So the thought is that estrogen plays a major role in migraine development. So since hormones play a role in migraine, what can women expect around the time of their menstrual cycles? So we think that actually it's the fluctuation in estrogen levels that trigger migraines in some women. So a couple of days before menstruation is usually when women with migraine history, especially menstrual migraines, may start to experience some beginning signs of their migraine. And then usually by the end of menstruation is when they start to feel a little bit more back to their normal selves when their estrogen levels are more back to baseline. And that's really interesting because I'm always talking to patients also about the fluctuations in cortisol levels. So it's really the fluctuations in hormone levels that can account for either the um, the menstrual-related migraines, even the letdown headaches um, when the stressful situation, you know, um, ends and there's that drop in cortisol levels. So I think that's really interesting for explaining to patients. Can you talk a little bit briefly about how migraine impacts family planning and pregnancy? And what should providers know about treating patients in these phases of life? Yes. So actually the main age range where migraine rates are highest for women is between 18 and 44. So that is our primary reproductive years. So it's really important for primary care physicians, including neurologists, but other primary care professionals to be aware if they're treating migraines in women in this age group, that they are, you know, very much in that reproductive time period. Some things that are important to consider are, are the medications that are being used safe for pregnancy and conception? So we will go into some treatment in a few minutes, I'm sure, but there are certain medications such as ergotamines, which can be used for migraine treatment, which are contraindicated in pregnancy due to their safety concerns for the fetus. So that's one thing. Also, patients that are on oral contraceptive pills, which include estrogen and progesterone, sometimes those are used to combat the fluctuations in hormone levels, which can precipitate migraines in some patients. 
uh, obviously it's going to be hard for them to achieve pregnancy if they rely on being on these oral contraceptive medications to control their migraines. So they often have to find alternative methods of migraine treatment if they are pursuing pregnancy. I think that's an important point you bring up because there have even been studies showing that women with migraines sometimes delay pregnancy. Um, even though they want to have a family, they're just so worried about getting pregnant with their migraines. And I think part of our role is really trying to help them achieve their goals and trying to help them work through whatever treatments they need during pregnancy so that they can have a successful pregnancy. That's an excellent point. The other uh, thing I'm always telling my patients, either preconception or patients that are pregnant, is that we recommend in general to use the least amount of different medications, least number of different medications for anything that we're treating. So for example, if someone's on a triptan and they take a narcotic medication or they take an NSAID, trying to minimize the number of different medications is important. And also, of course, the lowest dose possible that we can use in pregnancy and preconception is what we recommend. So it is important for patients that are seeking pregnancy or or thinking about pregnancy to consider these concepts when they're making a management plan with their physicians. I know you said we'll talk about treatment options. I'm so curious to find out what you recommend for patients. I know I definitely have my own spiel and recommendations, but I'd love to hear what you tell patients. So this is one of the main questions that I get as a high-risk OBGYN treating migraine patients. So frequently when patients become pregnant or thinking about being pregnant, they actually take themselves off of a lot of their medications and assume that there's no options for them during pregnancy, which is really unfortunate and is just not true. One of the first lines of treatment that I discuss with patients is something very simple that they can do to try to prevent a migraine from getting worse or to abort their migraine. So this first line treatment I recommend is very simple. It's hydration. So increasing your amount of fluid intake, acetaminophen, which is Tylenol and very safe in pregnancy, and actually some amount of caffeine. And caffeine is considered safe in pregnancy in small amounts. What I mean by, by that is up to 200 milligrams per day, which depending on what kind of coffee you drink, it's about a cup to a cup and a half of coffee per day. So that's something that I, I first discuss with patients. That's so interesting because typically in headache medicine, we tell patients we're worried about caffeine withdrawal causing headaches and so forth. What you're saying makes sense because for my patients, I say they can have up to two cups of coffee a day. So in the morning, uh, so it doesn't affect their sleep. Something else that I have discussed with patients that we can use is non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. And these are things like naproxen, toradol, ibuprofen, which we don't recommend use in the first trimester or in the third trimester, but in the mid second trimester are considered safe to use for a limited amount of time. So basically I would have a patient be on one of these medications for like about 48 hours, no more than that. Um, And that frequently can help relieve their migraine. Uh, Another thing that we actually can use in pregnancy is triptans. And many patients are on triptans prior to pregnancy and that tends to help their migraines. And then once they're pregnant, they either self-discontinue the triptan or their doctor has them stop the triptan. There were some older studies citing some concern for um, fetal growth restriction and increased blood loss at delivery. But the more recent studies have shown that triptans are actually very safe in pregnancy and have not been associated with any congenital defects or pregnancy complications. Another option that we can use is some anti-nausea medications such as 
prochlorperazine and metoclopramide. Um, even something simple like diphenhydramine can also help to relieve migraine symptoms. And these medications are safe in pregnancy. They're typically not used for prolonged amounts of time, but it's something that can be used safely during pregnancy. And we can talk also about some other types of medications that are safe, such as magnesium, which can be used for migraine treatment. And also I think for pre prevention of migraine during pregnancy, magnesium is very safe. We give that for many different in indications during pregnancy. I'd recommend of course, patients get monitored closely by their OBGYN, typically a high risk OBGYN if they're using these medications, but they can, can be used safely during pregnancy. And what about any procedures that can be helpful for these patients? I did a study several years ago when I was in residency looking at the use of peripheral nerve blocks, which are injections of medications. Usually it's a lidocaine or a bupivacaine uh, in a local way. It's injected into a specific point on the scalp to target a specific nerves, depending on the location and type of migraine for the patient. And these are considered safe in pregnancy because it's a local injection of medication, not a systemic administration. And the study that I did, it was a small study, but it showed that many of these patients actually get good relief from their migraine uh, during pregnancy if they're using these nerve blocks. And they can also be used in a repeated way during pregnancy, even as a prevention measure or as a treatment measure. Something else that more and more of my patients are using is something called the Cephaly device, which is a transcutaneous nerve stimulating device. And this is something that the patient can wear that's applied to their head. And many patients get relief either from their migraine or they use it as prevention. In addition, what I find really helpful for patients is the use of lidocaine nasal spray. It's based on old school studies, even published in JAMA, where you get liquid lidocaine 4% and it can be used as a nasal spray. Mm. What I like about it is it's considered safe for patients. They can even use it a couple of times a day. And so when there's that anxiety about trying to get rid of the headache and not having a lot of options, this can really come in handy. So it seems like there are definitely some options for trying to stop the headaches. Um, what about some preventive treatment options? Yeah, so we definitely have a lot of options for prevention of migraines in pregnant patients. Um, there are several medications that are safe in pregnancy, such as beta blockers like propranolol. Beta blockers are used for other indications in pregnancy as well, and their safety has been well proven in several studies. And another medication, amitriptyline, has also been safely used for prevention, as well as oral magnesium that's also been used. And I know that there are newer migraine preventive medications out in the market that are specific to migraine, um, the calcitonin gene-related peptide antagonists. And so I'm wondering, Dr. Grossman, if you have any comments about that. Yes, I'm definitely more recently getting asked by my patients about medications like Amovig and Emgality. However, like many newer medications, there really isn't good data on their use and safety during pregnancy. Also, the half-lives of these medications are, are long. They're several months long. So we really don't know what the effect is um, on pregnancy in the long term. But you know, I hope that with more time and more data that we will be able to offer these to our patients that are pregnant at some point in the future. In my practice, I'm always telling patients who are young, who are of childbearing age, that it would be great to try to learn some of these behavioral therapies early on um, so that they can, you know, learn the techniques, adapt them, integrate them into their everyday life. Uh, so that way, when they are considering pregnancy um, or become pregnant, they'll have those skills already. Um, 
And so I recommend cognitive behavioral therapy, biofeedback, relaxation. Those all have top evidence for migraine prevention. Um, we know there's long-term efficacy. They're safe. Thank you, Dr. Grossman, for joining us today to talk about migraine through all phases of a woman's life. I know this is a topic we'll talk about more in the future. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being able to talk about this topic, which I find very important to both my, my personal life and my uh, professional life. Well, thank you for tuning into this episode. Listeners can find additional information and doctor-verified resources about treating migraine in all phases of life on the First Contact Headache and Primary Care website. Visit the site at AmericanHeadacheSociety.org slash primary care. This podcast is brought to you by the American Headache Society and made possible by Eli Lilly.